Well, good morning, New Hope. Glad that you're here this morning in person, or if you're online with us, welcome. Glad that you are here. Today in our series called Goodbye, Hello, we're starting the Daniel Fast for the next 21 days. If you're new here or you haven't really followed the Daniel Fast, I encourage you to pick up a booklet uh, either at the doors or out by our Welcome Center about the Daniel Fast. Also, I want to make sure that you pick up a Daniel Fast 21-day devotional. A devotional is basically every day there's a story, there's scripture with it, and an encouraging prayer with it. And this devotional was written by our staff. Every time we do a Daniel Fast, we write a devotional together, and it's a story about, you know, what did we want to say goodbye to and, like, get rid of? And what were we saying hello to, what we were excited about? And so I really encourage you to, whether you're doing the fast or not, to pick up that devotional, walk through it corporately together as a church over the next 21 days. So that is our plan. So we're in this new series called Goodbye, Hello, with the idea of saying goodbye to 2020 and hello to a new, brighter 2021. Now, I like to journal as a person for years. I've been journaling, and this journal represents the second half of 2020. But I want to read a portion of the journal, just brief, of the emotions and the challenges that I wrestled with in 2020. This journal is full of all kinds of, uh, you know, interaction basically, with God. And so this comes from October 13th, 2020. Just a brief portion. It says, Father, as you have died for me, you know me. You know my needs. You are my God. Lord, do a substitution, Lord, in my life, in my character, with anger. Lord, I am so angry. Father God, grant me perspective, grant me peace, grant me contentment, grant me hope, grant me endurance, grant me understanding, grant me behavior, Lord. May I be gentle, may I be kind in all things, with people, without people, Lord. Manage My anger, Lord, I don't like it. I'm usually not an angry person at all, very little. But like everyone, I do get angry. But I remember October being a month of where I had this this constant bubbling anger within me that it, it didn't matter about a situation or a particular engagement with a person or whatever, if someone disagreed with me, it was just this, whether I was together with people or alone, there was just this level of anger that I've never carried before in my life. And I said, God, this does not produce anything good. Father God, you are my owner. Purge anything that is not good in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I knew I was wrestling with anger, and I was reaching out to God, asking for something 
different. I think we all can relate when it comes to our 2020. Some of the challenges of 2020 have already creeped over into 2021. And I wonder, and I imagine you wonder as well, is this new year going to be any better? This was the same viewpoint of two women, Naomi and Ruth, in 1130 B.C. For our Goodbye Hello series, we will be walking through the book of Ruth, which is in the Old Testament. It's in the first half of the Bible. Now, the book of Ruth is unique in three specific ways. The first one is, it is one of two books that are written about women and have the title of a woman, Ruth and then the book of Esther. This was significant. This is radical when it comes to world religions. Most other world religions do not respect or acknowledge the importance of women. And yet we see God place in his word to us, the Bible, two specific stories about women. Secondly, the book of Ruth is this brief, intimate story. It's only four chapters. You can read it in 15 minutes. But this brief, intimate story about two women, where a lot of the books of the Bible are more a broad narrative of a variety of stories or historical facts woven together. And then thirdly, Ruth, who is the hero of this story, is not a Jew. She isn't a Jew. When we read most of the Old Testament, all the Old Testament, it's about God's relationship with his people, Israel, the Jewish nation. But yet we have this story fit in to the Old Testament about this hero, and she's not a Jew. So let's jump into this story, starting with the setting, the setting, and we get a brief description of the setting, what's going on in Ruth chapter one, the first line only of verse one. It says this, in those days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. There's our setting. There it is. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? Well, let me talk about judges. The events of Ruth occurred during the latter period of the Judges. The book of Judges is the book right before the book of Ruth. And in the book of Judges, there's what is called this Judges cycle. This cycle that happens over and over again in God's relationship with Israel and Israel's relationship with God. And the Judges cycle goes like this. The nation of Israel has this incredible relationship with God, and God is providing their daily bread needs. Everybody is enjoying the relationship. Life is good, the Israelites say. But after a while, they say, you know what? Life is good. Who needs God? We got this. And they walk away, and they abandon their relationship with God. And in abandoning their relationship with God, God to bring them back to him, 
allows their enemies to overtake them, exile them to their land and make them slaves. And 40, 50 years pass by and the Israelites get a clue and they're like, hey, you know what? It was a lot better when we walked with God instead of being in slavery. And they cry out to God, God, don't you love us? Don't you care? Why are we in this situation? And so then God hears them, has mercy on them, and sends a, sends a judge. A judge is a person, either of political or spiritual leadership. And the judge gets them out of their predicament, brings them back into a relationship with God. They say, hooray, they walk with God and life is good. They love it. And God's providing their daily bread needs and it's great. But after a while, they're like, you know what? Life is good. Who needs God? We got this. And they walk away from God They end up being exiled back as slaves in another land. They cry out. God says, as judge, everything's good. Life is good. We love this and that. But then, hey, life is good. Who needs God? And it happens over and over and over again. And you read the book of Judges and you're like, when will these people get a clue? But it's still happening today. It's still happening today, right? And so we see this picture of what's taking place in the book of Judges, and how God uses war and slavery to draw his people back into relationship with him. But what he also utilized in those days, if it wasn't war or slavery, was famine. So we see the setting here. It says, hey, it was during the latter part of the book of of Judges, and there was famine in the land. Now, the famine which Israel experienced was severe and oftentimes was for several years. And, you know, I say the word famine to you, and all of us in the room are like, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Why? Because we can't relate to famine. We cannot relate to famine. We can't relate to going without. But yet, in reality, today, I'm not now talking about the culture back then, but I'm just talking about in reality today, In our world, in underdeveloped countries, or what we would maybe classify as third world countries, on a daily basis, a mom and her daughter, because it was their job in the family, had to walk and has to walk 3.5 miles to get water daily. In our world today, there are Moms and daughters who walk daily 3.5 miles to get water. And typically today, they get their water in a jug similar to our gasoline jugs. Now, a gasoline jug like this one holds six gallons of water. Gas per gallon weighs 6.3 pounds. So if we fill this with gas or fill it with water, roughly, it's going to be right around 40 pounds that they're carrying 3.5 miles a day to get water. How many of you in the house walk 3.5 miles to your faucet? Any of you? No, right? Let me give you a little context of what this would look like for you moms, sorry, you women in the room, daughters in the room, regardless of age, would have to walk and get the water. If you took this, 40 pounds of water, you would have to walk back from Cambridge Isani High School to here, 3.5 miles. 
If you are at a, a Sandy campus, you'd have to leave just off County Road 5 and walk south down 65 all the way to the Green Barn to get water, 40 pounds of it. If you are at our Bram campus, you'd have to leave the Bram Event Center, get out on 65 and walk 0.7 miles past Stanchfield to get water. That is what Naomi and Ruth were dealing with in this setting in the land. That was just water. Because we know when there's famine, what starts before famine? Typically drought. And we talk about famine, and, and those of us who are choosing to go into this fast and that, we're going to be like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll be experiencing famine now. <laughs> right? Not really. I mean, famine isn't like fasting. When we fast, as far as the Daniel fast and that, we know that on a daily basis here, we are going to have a certain level of food. Where in a famine, there is no guarantee of food at all. And so we see this setting. During famines, starving people resorted to eating such things as wild vines, heads of animals, garbage, dung, and even human flesh, the Bible states. That's the extremes. It's interesting. God created the world as a good environment, which would normally provide ample water and food for mankind. However, at times by God's choosing, he, the productiveness of the earth is related to people's obedience to him. For example, the sins of Adam and Eve and Cain resulted in unfruitfulness in the earth, as we read in Genesis 3 and 4. Israel's relationship with God also directly affected the fertility of the promised land that God, when he called them out of Egypt and said, hey, go take over the promised land, and they disobeyed him. It impacted the fertility of that land. When the people of God obeyed him, the land was productive. However, when they disobeyed, judgment came upon the land through drought and famine with the goal, the desire of, hey, come back to me, trying to draw them back. Furthermore, in the New Testament, which is the, the second half of the Bible, and towards the very end, the last book of the Bible, it reports that famine will be part of God's coming judgment upon the earth in the last days. Matter of fact, in Matthew 24, 7, Jesus himself says, hey, in the last days, there's going to be multiple earthquakes and famine will be experienced. And so this is the setting. This is the setting of the book of Ruth. And upon this, this setting that corporately the people are going through of this incredible famine, you heap on that now Naomi and Ruth's experience, secondly, of the sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow. And what do I mean by that? And I'm going to read this story in a moment. But we find as we read the story that beyond just this incredible famine, 
Naomi's husband dies. Naomi's two sons, her only children, die. Ruth's son, or Ruth's husband, is one of Naomi's sons. Naomi is left a widow. Ruth is left a widow. Her sister-in-law is left a widow as well. We read that neither daughter-in-law have children. They've been married to Naomi's sons for 10 years and no kids. Unheard of in that culture. You marry, you have children right away. And so they were unable to give birth to children. And so Naomi has no sons. She has no grandsons. Which means that Naomi and Ruth as widows are vulnerable. They have no man to protect them. They have no man to provide for them. During their days and for Naomi in old age. Because that was the responsibility of the son. Especially if the father passed away. And we see for Naomi and we see Ruth especially that as they leave the country to search for food, that Ruth now is called to leave her people, leave her land, leave her gods, and go to a whole new place. So let me read to you the story in chapter one, brief story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judea, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of the two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there for 10 years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we'll go back and be with your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. 
Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and I gave birth to sons tomorrow, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung on to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Shoo, get out of here. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and I will be buried there. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women in the town exclaimed, could this be Naomi? And so we see in this story that beyond just the setting of the immense famine, how sorrow upon sorrow personally is heaped upon Naomi and Ruth, the death of Naomi's husband, the death of both of her sons. She's left with foreign daughter-in-laws, not even of her nationality. Ruth is without a husband as well. There have been no children that could be of age that could bring care to these widows. They were incredibly vulnerable, incredibly vulnerable. In Psalm 6, 6 and 7, King David has all these foes coming against him. And we get a picture, a glimpse of the emotion around the sorrow upon sorrow that these two women are experiencing. And it says, I am worn out from my groaning, David says, All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. You know, we know our foes are our enemies, right? And Naomi and Ruth, beyond the famine, had all kinds of foes in their lives. They had the famine, yes, but then they had the the death of Naomi's husband, the death of the sons, the death of Ruth's husband. No children who are of age to care for these widows, and they are vulnerable. They're vulnerable. In ancient times, widows were often grouped with vulnerable members of society, such as the fatherless or the alien or the poor in the community because they were vulnerable. My wife and I have a relationship with a couple who had to flee Pakistan because they were accused of blaspheming against Mohammed and their life was in danger. And they're now refugees. And in visiting with 
the wife about life in Pakistan as a woman, she said, it's difficult. You never went out after dark. If you went out after dark, you are a target. They could do whatever they wanted to you, regardless. And this picture of vulnerability, just as a woman, period. But these women, living, traveling, the vulnerability. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, experienced so much sorrow. We get this picture of where she was at in verse 20 in this story. What did it say in verse 19? It said that the whole town was stirred because of them. And they exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Is this Naomi? Did she come back? And what does she say? Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back home empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The word Mara means bitter. Hey, I changed my name because of my last years. It's now Mara. That's where I'm at. That defines my life. Yet with all the setting, with all the sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow, we see thirdly that there is this sliver of hope. We see as we read in chapter one that there's this sliver of hope that these women get. And what is it? We see it in verse six and 22. They heard the Lord came to the aid of his people. They got word in Moab that, hey, back in Bethlehem, God is showing up to his people. There's food back in Bethlehem. We read it in verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing them food. The last verse in the chapter, verse 22 as they came into Bethlehem, as they arrived in Bethlehem, the barley harvest has, had begun. They were harvesting food. And in that, there was this sliver of hope. Naomi and Ruth had a Mara year, but they were saying goodbye to the past with a new hope for their future. Although it was only a sliver, although maybe they only had a quarter tank left in their soul, it was enough for them to make it back to Bethlehem and to see that God was still involved in the life of his people. And that his mercy and his love, his provision, was there. And this morning, I believe that we can relate to this story, to the studying corporately, to the sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow individually. Our 2020 was Mara. It was a bitter year filled nationally, I presume, and personally. 
with challenges because of COVID and health risks and people around us we know that specifically died. Racial tensions because of economy, challenges, work, places closing. And then you throw on the back end of this whole year, the Viking season, right? Yeah. And we want to pursue 2021, right? With this sliver of hope because we have heard that God is going to come to our aid, that God has promised us he will never leave us nor forsake us. And as we go in this series, we find that God is out ahead of Naomi and Ruth and provides for them and brings a transformation of bitterness, Mara, to a life of joy and laughter security, and fulfillment. The last page in my journal for this last year was a transitional page from last year to this year. And it says this, Lord, this is your new year. 2021, a new year marked by a new life. May I be transformed in the areas that you choose. May I trust in you and listen, Lord, to your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me in ways never before. May I not live under man's influence, but yours. May I trust in your ways, even though not always clear to me or understood. May I walk by faith and not by sight. May I not become comfortable, Lord. As we start our fast, Lord, may I be relentless in surrendering my will to yours. May I not look to the ways to make it easy, but lean into what you would have. Lord, direct my goals, what is right during this fast and to start this year. Lord, rearrange me in what is needed for this year. You, are Lord, are my God and my King. Lead me as I lead my family, your church, and the community that I live in. This is my invitation to each one of us during this time of prayer and fasting, is to lean into God, to invite him to remove the Mara year of last year and to bring in a new year of transformation in 2021. Personally in our lives, as we pray and fast, but also because we're Christ followers, we're called to be light and darkness corporately in East Central Minnesota and beyond. May we be light and darkness. And so I invite you and encourage you to participate over these 21 days and take this first one month to set up the next 11 months of your year. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you that your word is relevant and it is good. And you understand our heart and our journey over this last year or years. 
but we pray for a fresh start. We pray that we would recognize that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you will come to our aid in our situation. And so I pray as we fast and pray that you would show up in new and refreshing ways and that we would be a different people, more like you and less like ourselves. In your holy name, amen.